made of like, I'm Josh if we have a net. Um, I remember this song from whenever I was a little kid that went like this, Father Abraham and many sons. You, you're on the beat if you know it. Many sons had many grandsons. And one of the grandsons was named Joseph. And he closed the book of Genesis in the land of Egypt where he was second in command, second in command of the greatest empire the world had ever known up to that time. He gained his status from being a shrewd famine planner. And now you are prepared for the opening line of Exodus. Genesis closes the very first book of the Bible and weaves right into the very first line of Exodus. And if you read the books of, of Exodus, the very first few lines, what you will see is that God's intent from Genesis 1 to Exodus 1 is coming alive. Here's what Genesis 1 says. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Exodus answers that. Now Joseph and all his brothers, that would be the many sons, and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. What this little chunk of scripture says is, number one, what God's purposes began with in the book of Genesis were being fulfilled in Exodus. God was at work. It also meant that the Hebrew ladies had childbearing kids. Now here's the thing. Not everyone is thrilled. Not everyone is thrilled with the baby making. In fact, there is a new king who did not know of Joseph. And he sees this large immigrant of Hebrews as a clear and present danger to Egyptian national security. And this is what it says. A new king to whom Joseph meant nothing came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come. We must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. That's that baby-making. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies. They will fight against us, and they will leave the country. And so what begins here in the opening few lines is we have this historical narrative put in place, and then three Quentin Tarantino-esque strategies to exploit the Israelites and wipe them out. At first, the King Pharaoh will enslave the Israelite nation to build large store cities. Store cities. So he'll enslave this population and he'll put them to work in forced camp. And if you read, they will multiply. Then, Pharaoh tries to coerce some midwives to kill all the male Israelite newborns. And here's a Fun little story explanation from the writers of, of Exodus. Look at this. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shephra and Pua. And that sounds like a bad yo mama joke. Yo mama's so stinky, her parents named her Pua. Yeah. <laughs> you were way off. It's like, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. All right, back to the story. When you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth, on the delivery store, if you see that the baby's a boy, kill him as if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do and let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt 
some of the midwives, and I'm like, what? Why have you done this? Why do you like the boys with it? The midwives answered Pharaoh, they're not like Egyptian women. Those childbearing hips again. There's a big story happening. They arrive when they're vigorous, they give birth before the midwives come. There's a point to me telling you this story over and over and over. It's the same idea that we're watching happen. That God's purposes from Genesis 1 are being fulfilled in Exodus 1, no matter what opposition comes. Pharaoh's last strategy, if you read Exodus 1, will be outright genocide. Murdering all the Israelite sons by having them tossed into the Nile River. Imagine the horror. Imagine the horror. A part of my story is walking through... Um, a miscarriage with my wife. And imagine the horror of you carry the baby to fruition, and then a sword comes and takes your child and puts them into the Nile. Pharaoh is the worst. His third and most heinous act of evil will be met by God's third and most remarkable act of response. But that will be next week's sermon. And so instead, you have been to my sermons before, hopefully, and you know that it's time to turn and talk. So here would be your chance to go. What is the experience and what is the conversation of an Israelite person in response to Pharaoh? What is the experience like and what's the conversation in response to Pharaoh? And the reason I'm asking this question is because the Bible doesn't tell you the answer. Why I love this question. I need you guys to handle the text and experience it. So you turn and talk, I'll call you back, and then we'll chat. Ready? <laughs> Pursue authentic faith is this right here. 
holding scripture and going to find an experience within the story, even if it dredges up hopelessness and questions about the goodness of God. That is a valuable and worthy pursuit because it's authentic. We've been through hard things. If the last year and a half, probably the same thing, we can walk through something a lot, right? The second thing that we care about is building intentional communities. And so again, if you are new, I want you to feel welcome. We are not here to get you or keep you. Um, it can sometimes, um, for the local churches in all historic campus ministries, uh, it can feel like kind of Game of Thrones characters on a used car lot. I tried to just like mash those up together. Um, here's my hope, that you would enter new spaces looking for people. That you would enter new spaces looking for individuals to connect with. Number two, that you would learn the culture of a place, so we like to have fun amongst all the other things we do, and then also that you would learn the theology. And for us, it's pursuing authentic faith, even if the roads are dark and scary. Okay? I would love for you, if you don't find out I'm here, blessings, blessings. Go to a place, meet individuals, learn the culture, and learn the theology. Uh, I got a little, little screenshot that I shared. Um, if you grew up in church, and this is just an extension of normal, I promise you it's not, okay? So dive in deeply and go deeper. Uh, we want to make each other think and we want to sharpen. If you have ever felt unwelcome in a spiritual place, maybe home was a fundamentalist understanding of Christianity, very through the line. Maybe it was legalistic in your experience, or maybe you personally felt unwelcome in a faith community. I've written my heart and want you to know I'm sorry for that experience. And I hope you can find welcome here. And then all of us at some point, if we're pursuing authentic faith and we're looking with humility at ourselves and our world, we will feel far from God at different moments in our journey. We will. You will. I will. It is the nature of me moving in a broken world as a broken person. So there are moments, and if you're in one of those moments, tonight we'll please find community and let's talk. Uh, one of the elements of who we are is we teach through the Bible. If the Bible's new to you, it's a literary craft using subtle narratives and then overt, like just Tarantino gore coming out at you, repeating keywords and themes. And writers do this on purpose. And so as a community, we're going to do intentional things like dive into text and ask it questions and let it ask questions of us. We're going to allow the room to discuss the text and we're going to develop our understanding of who God is together. Because the authors of the Bible are not trying to make you smarter. They're trying to teach you how to read the world that you walk in. Because you can know God and his, who created it. And here's the reality. Our culture understands the idea of walking in brokenness and trying to make sense of it. Like every country song is a narrative in trying to move through a broken world, whether it's your dog or your girlfriend or your truck. Right, yeah. <laughs> you knew that. Good. Thank you so much. Um, you see this on social media posts. You see people who are vulnerable and authentic and transparent about the good, the bad, and the hard of their life. Like our culture understands, and nowhere is um, 
do we tell the story of a broken world and invite our, each other to help make sense of it than in the movies? So let me show you this. All right, so, yeah, we got a little partnership going. Not this week, not next week, but in two weeks from tonight, uh, Sherwood Oaks is a church in town that we love to partner alongside. And they have rented the Starlight Drive-In, and they said we are welcome to a host encounter outside under the stars at Starlight Drive-In, and then watch the Peanut Butter Falcon together. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Give me a little shot of the ball. I understand what you're saying. Uh, here it is. Here's the storyline. Can you say that? I wanted to pick Fury, but I didn't think it was appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so here's the, here's the short version. Uh, Starlight Drive-In Theater is uh, just on the south side of town, give or take 15 minutes from here. Uh, 6.30, uh, we have the space rented for games and the concession stand will be open. You can bring a dinner, pack a picnic in. Give or take 7.30, we'll do an acoustic set. Uh, let Joe get loose a little bit <laughs> on the microphone. <laughs> That's good stuff. And then about uh, just after dusk, give or take 8.30, uh, we're going to hit the Starlight Drive-In and the Peanut Butter Falcon and learn all the rest of this. Uh, so, sweet movie. Such a sweet movie. And the reason um, that we picked this one is because this is all about the desire to know the kingdom without knowing the and so it is a, it's a journey, it's an adventure towards the ethics of the kingdom lived out by unlikely friendships. One of the things that CSF loves to be about is intentional community. And we want to have eyes to understand the kingdom all around us. And be learning how to say that story to a broken and a hurting campus. If you read Exodus 1-18 through along with us, uh, this semester, you are going to find that it is a super intense book. I mean, it is full of hard and horrible things. And the reality for a lot of us is we read the Bible and become dull to the violence that we see. It feels like our problems aren't as bad as the Nile River. And I understand that. But what if we had a heart and eyes that could actually look at Afghanistan the way God sees that space. Haiti has just been hit with yet another natural disaster. There are incredible, incredible things happening in the world around us as we speak. And these, these churn up theological questions that Ben has already put his hand on. When we see those hard things, there are two fundamental responses from a broken world. How could God let this happen? And the second one, perhaps he was never here. Like at some point, hardship is going to hit you right in the heart. And you will be confronted with this question where your knowledge of what you know about God is, is confronted with the brokenness of the world and your experience in it. 
And so for today, the thing that I want to drive home is that your relationship with God and your connection to a community will define your experience for this, for this week, for this semester, and whenever that hardship hits you. Your relationship, not your knowledge of God, not how much you know or have memorized about him, but your actual, I know who you are, God. And in the face of this thing, that is what will define your experience in the middle of hardship. And then who can I walk alongside? Who will meet me in my brokenness and travel with me? That is what will define your experience. Exodus is all about giving people an identity in the midst of the hardest thing they have ever known. Perhaps God isn't even we all carry an identity as we move in the world. And Pharaoh's identity in the story, we've seen it already. He takes food, he takes labor, he takes the wealth from others. He lives in a world with a scarcity mentality. And if he doesn't take it from you, he fears that you will take it from him. And here's the twist of my sermon tonight. Pharaoh is not a person. It's a worldview. The idea that there is not enough and I must grab and hold is not a person. It's your movement in Bloomington. It's your handling of where you're going in vocation. See, Pharaoh embodies the tragic turn that a broken heart can take in the world when one person or one society places their own values above another person or another society. I asked you this question already. What is the experience and the conversation of the Israelite people in response to Pharaoh? And now it's the exact same question, except personalized for your world. What is the experience and conversation of a maturing Christian to respond to a Pharaoh worldview? The idea of scarcity, there's not enough. I have to step on top of someone else to get where I'm headed. The Bible is full of answers to this. Why don't you guys talk about it and then we'll talk about it. <laughs> okay. So here's a new question. It's the same one that we asked before and we're saying, okay, so what? Am I getting better at my worldview? Am I deepening and maturing in my worldview? So what's the conversation in response to Pharaoh, which is not a person, but a way of seeing and moving in the world. So um, we talked a little bit about how like if maturing as a Christian is trying to be more like Jesus and more like Christ, then he throughout the Bible gives up and is selfless in a lot of situations where our human instinct is to be selfish, like the Pharaoh worldview. So in response, it might be giving up. framing what security has to look like. Because I have an idea. The world, Pharaoh worldview tells me. Woo! <laughs> That's what Pharaoh worldview tells me. It's not going to go. 
Yeah, and so right, there's always this tension. That if we're honest with each other, again, that's what we're about, right? Because through authentic faith, we're, there's a tension of at which point do I desire to be the best at my particular craft or in my vocational field? I want to be the top. I want to earn the paycheck. And so, is that a fair world view? Like, what is enough? And it's a question of security, right? I really like that. Um, we're gonna we're gonna reference a book in the future um, called True Riches, and I'd love to, to put hands, um, put copies in your hands if you have question marks about enough, because it's one of my favorite understandings and teachings about security. I really love that. Well, something I kind of thought about um, was like the feral, feral worldview. I kind of feel like that's kind of college right now. Everyone is always like, what are you going to do after college? Where are you going? Like, how are you going to get there? And it was so aggressive. Um, and very selfish. So I think it's important that like Christians, we need to kind of, you know, be like, well, God's got a plan. I'm going to work my hardest, do my best, and like I'm going to experience like whatever God has in store for me, and like I'm going to work my hardest and try so hard. But ultimately, like God's got the control, and it's not about me. It's about the things that He has blessed me to accomplish His work with. Yeah, I love that frame of. Aggressiveness of the experience that you all are in at some level. And the cool one is I want to do my best and try my hardest. Like I am on a path somewhere. So one of the things I like to think through is called ambition alignment. I want to make sure that the thing I'm striving and working so hard for is at that crosshairs of exactly where God's kingdom is at and for me. And so yeah, I want to put every 100% effort I have, but I want it to be for the thing that's going to last because it's aligned with Ambition alignment. I really love that idea. Last word? Alright, we'll keep going. I love it, I love it. The fundamental issue that you're going to meet, along with me, as we read Exodus together, is can our identity be truly aligned with the kingdom of God? Can who God says we are truly help us in the midst of the hardest journey, the wandering and the brokenness, even in the context of senselessness. And so it will require faith. Like my whole talk right here is based on this idea of what in the world is pursuing authentic faith and building an intentional community together. And here's the aha. Faith is a relationship word. Faith is a relationship word. And the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's fear. We've seen this in Pharaoh already. A, a Pharaoh mentality lives perpetually in fear that I don't have enough. And it's this great idea of what is really gives me security. How much is enough? And the, and the answer is when I'm in alignment with exactly where God is like projecting me to go, when I'm on his path, then he will always provide. Pharaoh has always operating out of fear. And so it comes back to this, that if we're people on campus moving with a deepening faith, then it must be expressed in a way that makes it distinctive. Now, we moved down to Bloomington with three little girls at the time, and Laura and I had a great conversation because, let's be real, Bloomington 
distinctiveness and forms of expression can take any number. The very first night we were here, we were at, Chick uh, at Chipotle on Kirkwood, and there was a protest march for the violence in downtown Chicago. And my sweet little second grader, Anson, who's now my sweet little sophomore, Anson, she's like, Dad, what are they marching about? Why are they all dressed in black? Is that boy's fingernails painted black? I was like, I don't know why they're marching. Go ask them. I picked her up. I put her on the wrong side of the Chipotle fence because we were eating out. Y'all know where I'm at, right? On Kirkwood. And she runs up to the guy. What's the big deal? He hands her a flyer and she comes racing back to me. That's how I know it was about the protest in Chicago. Listen, here is the aha. Faith in action is like jaywalking, taking back the rainbow from Jonah Hill. Like, you can express and see yourself. Bingo! Ooh, bingo! We got him. Okay, then. Very nice, very nice. And here is the redemption. You cannot just see faith in action. That was planned. I'm so sorry. We cannot just see faith in action. It must have a public dimension. Guys, we have to be people who are learning how to make faith distinctive. So rather than playing bingo within my sermon, let's bring up our president and yours, Maddie. West. <laughs> She's gonna redeem this sermon right here. So, uh, so we're talking about faith expressed in action, and so the way that we have as a ministry to remember is really simple. It rhymes. Uh, it's called "No Love Grow," and so to know. Uh, your, how you express your faith is knowledge. It's knowing who your intentional communities are, both Christian and not. So, Maddie, a, a direct question. Like, how has, as a senior, how's your intentional communities evolved over three years? Yeah. So, up until about three days ago, I didn't really feel like I had a community freshman year. And I've kind of come to like, this conclusion that I might have been too strict with my definition of community. I had a couple of relationships with non-Christians that were I was intentionally pouring into, and I feel like that's still a community, even if it's not Christian. We want to have non-Christian and Christian communities, and so that was something that I was pouring into. But I still had this really deep longing to be known, because I feel like there's something special about Christian community, about being known, because it's very difficult. You can still be friends, and you can talk to, and you can relate with non-Christians, but when you have something that cements you at your core, your faith, that's something totally different, and it helps you grow and feel comfortable, and so I was longing for that. Sophomore year, I decided to move here with the house, and I knew that I was going to have to be much more intentional about building that relationship. If I was longing for Christian community, I needed to be out there, I needed to make relationships, I needed to get involved. And so that sophomore year, I was kind of described as me being a little bit more of a consumer of community. I was missing a lot of things in my life freshman year, and suddenly this Christian community was able to start fulfilling those things. Junior year, I'd say I started to take more of uh, ownership of this community and started leading a little bit more. Um, I used to do greeting and I used to do event planning and now I'm doing, uh, now I'm president. Oh. So. <laughs> yeah. My experience with community is just to say that it's kind of shifted from feeling disconnected to finally getting plugged in to starting to lead and to start growing this community very intentionally. I love that. That's super good. So, Shout out to CSF Cypher for the second time. When we talk about an intentional, knowing 
where you are intentionally putting yourself to be in the crossroads of what campus loves and cares about and where the kingdom can meet them. Uh, that's why I brought the bike up, just to remind myself, let's be real. But these guys <laughs> over here, they actually go not only just on race day, but they ride through the week. Um, they have incredible relationships with the Little Five community. Anyway, it's the good stuff. All right, no uh, is the first one. Love is the second one. There are so many definitions for love. This is not a sermon on that. However, what it is is clarity. We have taken the idea of how to love your intentional communities, and we want to make it incredibly practical. So we say it's two things. It's eating with your community and praying for them. Eat with, pray for. Uh, and so this is what it looks like for CSF uh, to build intentional communities. You, you know them, it's where you're gonna find yourself, and then you love them by eating with them and praying for. So uh, a specific question to Maddie because of her major, uh, I asked her, how do you live this out within the halls of Kelly? And when he texted me that, I texted him right back and said, I'll be honest, I'm very bad about it. I feel like I've like thrown myself into my Christian community and I love them and I grow with them, but I'm so bad about my Kelly community and something that I know that I need to be better at. And so something I asked Josh to talk to us about is how to balance your Christian community and non-Christian community and how to get connected with non-Christian community. And that's why I love the, uh, the definition of love is eat with, pray for. Go figure, I eat dinner almost every night. Um, <laughs> so there I am tonight at a bachelor middle school. So there I was at bachelor middle school, and who's trying to take my money at the door and give me a crappy little ticket, the mid one? It's Miss Maddie. How do I know Miss Mouth? Because my 10th grader, Anson, had her when she was in 7th grade. Now my 7th grader, Quinn, has Miss Maddie. So there I look at Miss Maddie. I say, Miss Maddie, when are you coming up the house, up the hill to our house? That was it. We eat dinner every night. She said, I make a mini hockey salad. I said, I'll have my wife connect with you. And that was it. Because I actually care about this person who has a relationship with my kid. And so I invited her to dinner. And it was that simple. Loving is so simple. If you're going to eat, bring somebody with you and then pray for them as they leave. Not like in a weird way, but in a, <laughs> hey, is anything going on in your life? I, I try to get intentional with my people. Can I be praying about that? How simple, right? It's sweet. All right, anyway. That's the good one. And then the last one is this. If we know our intentional communities and we begin to love them well, then we are going to grow spiritual. So this is the beginning to Maddie. Uh, she's the president, no big deal, I've said it three times. And here, is there an inherent spiritual influence, Maddie? And so, what's it like to look backwards uh, and to understand how God has walked alongside you to this point? Yeah, so reflecting on like how I've seen God move through me and through the people around me throughout the past like past few years, there's a huge difference between me as a freshman and me now. Uh, freshman me was very, very afraid. I was taking a public speaking class actually my first semester and I couldn't stop shaking like that. Like very aggressively anxious. And so like to see that like the ways that God has like put people in my life and pushed me so that I could be doing this right now um, amazes me and makes it something I'm really grateful for. Um, I also feel like I've seen him move in the people around me, though. This year especially, 
I, as president, I know everyone on the leadership team. I have a responsibility for them, sort of, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, every single person on leadership this year, besides one person, has put themselves in an entirely new role. And half of them haven't even been on leadership before. And so to see these people that I have been in community with and growing with, pushing themselves and taking responsibility for this community has been super awesome. I also see them stepping up in other ways like small groups and just building relationships with one another and growing as people. And so seeing God be faithful to me, but also being faithful in them has been really amazing. Except that it's your turn to talk again. So let me pray for us. I'll throw uh, some new questions up, and you guys can turn and take that break. All right? All right? Let's do it. God, we give you praise for um, the health that we are experiencing to gather together with one heart. Um, I pray for folks who are new in this room that whether it's at CSF or not, that they find a place where they are safe to be known and where they can invest and know others deeply. God, I, I ask that your spirit is active. Um, whenever we do this turn and talk, I pray that your spirit is active when we worship together, that we have a voice and a heartbeat that actually looks for you, no matter the brokenness that we find ourselves in the middle of. Um, God, I want to be a community on campus that is, is known for pursuing a faith that is distinct and that expresses itself in genuine love and deep influence. And so we need your spirit to do that work so that it's successful. So we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, this is a ton of fun to not be doing this online. All right, so here's some questions. What are you going to do to move as an anti-pharaoh this week? And then here's the second one. What personal connections can you make to start your no love, grow, distinct expression, and don't say take back the rainbow. Okay, everybody, you guys can talk about it. Jacob, bring it back.